Hi, this is Father Neil here and welcome to the June 27th episode of the podcast Catechism with Father Neil. Today we'll be looking at numbers 1396 through 1401 of the Catechism. 1396. The unity of the mystical body, the Eucharist makes the Church. Those who receive the Eucharist are united more closely to Christ. Through it Christ unites them to all the faithful in one body, the Church. Communion renews, strengthens and deepens this incorporation into the Church already achieved by baptism. In baptism we have been called to form but one body. The Eucharist fulfills this call. The cup of blessing which we bless, is it not a participation in the body of the Lord? The bread which we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for all partake of the one bread. If you are the body and members of Christ, then it is your sacrament that is placed on the table of the altar. It is your sacrament that you receive. To that which you respond, Amen, yes it is true. And by responding to it you assent to it. For you hear the words, the body of Christ, and respond, Amen. Be then a member of the body of Christ, that your Amen may be true. 1397. The Eucharist commits us to the poor. To receive in truth the body and blood of Christ, given up for us, we must recognise Christ in the poorest of his brethren. You have tasted the blood of the Lord, yet you do not recognise your brother. You dishonour this table. When you do not judge worthy of sharing your food, someone judged worthy to partake of in this meal. God freed you from all your sins and invited you here, but you have not become more merciful. 1398. The Eucharist and the Unity of Christians. Before the greatness of this mystery, St. Augustine exclaims, O sacrament of devotion, O sign of unity, O bond of charity, the more painful the experience of divisions in the Church, which break the common participation in the table of the Lord, the more urgent are our, belie- our prayers to the Lord that this time of complete unity among all who believe in him may return. 1399. The Eastern Churches that are not in full communion with the Catholic Church celebrate the Eucharist with great love. These churches, although separated from us, yet possess true sacraments, above all by apostolic succession, the priesthood and the Eucharist, whereby they are still joined to us in closest intimacy, a certain communion in sacris, and so in the Eucharist, given suitable circumstances and approval of the church authority, is not merely possible but to be in, but is encouraged. 1400 ecclesial communities, derived from the Reformation, and separated from the Catholic Church, have not preserved the proper reality of the Eucharistic ministry, mystery in its fullness, especially because of the absence of the Sacrament of Holy Orders. It is for this reason that, for the Catholic Church, Eucharistic intercommunion with these communities is not possible. However, these ecclesial communities, when they commemorate the Lord's death and resurrection in the Holy Supper, profess that it signifies life and communion with the Church, with Christ, and await his coming in glory. 1401. When, in the ordinary's judgment, a grave necessity arises, 
Catholic ministers may give sacraments of Eucharist, penance and anointing of the sick to other Christians not in full communion with the Catholic Church, who ask for them of their own will, provided they give evidence of holding the Catholic faith regarding these sacraments and possess the required dispositions. Okay, very good. So today we continue looking at the different, uh, the different fruits of Holy Communion. And I suppose the first one is this very uh, famous line from the, the Orthodox theology that's in the Catechism now. And it's this line, the Eucharist makes the church. So what makes the church? What is the building block of the church? The building block of the church is not the buildings, is not stone. I mean, we have some, some of the nicest buildings ever made by man. That the Catholic Church, thank God, has some treasures that are absolutely beautiful. But this is not what makes the church. What makes the church more than anything is the Eucharist. When Christians gather together to celebrate the Eucharist, this forms the Church of Christ. And this is why, as we've, we've said a few times already, this is why there's a difference between the, 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 the bodies, the, the Christian bodies, that have valid sacraments and those that have not. And why the Catholic Church says that the Catholic Church is a church and the Orthodox churches and the Eastern Orthodox churches are churches. People like the Coptics, people like the Russian Orthodox. All these are real churches. But that the Catholic Church, in a technical sense, cannot call the, the, the bodies, the ecclesial bodies of the Reformation, as true churches. Which, again, I know on the practical level causes a lot of problems, causes a lot of confusion. But it is simply that... In order for a church to be a church, it must have the Eucharist. And if you have uh, bodies that don't have the Eucharist, because they don't have the sacraments, because during the Reformation, the Lutherans and the Anglicans and the uh, Presbyterians, uh, Calvinists, etc., um, the, the churches of the brethren, these uh, evangelical churches, all of what we would call Protestant churches, rejected the sacrament of holy orders. Yes, they have ministers, but they lost the apostolic succession. What makes a priest is the fact that he was ordained by a bishop who was ordained by a bishop or who was ordained by a bishop all the way back to the apostles. And the Catholic Church and the Orthodox churches have kept this apostolic succession going, whereas the Protestant bodies in the Reformation lost it. It's not to say that everything they do is wrong, not at all. It's not to say that the celebrations are, are, are bad, not, not, not at all. The celebrations get, their celebrations can be very good. The Catechism even says that for certain Protestants, when they're celebrating the Lord's Supper, when they're sharing the bread and the wine, these are very beautiful celebrations. These are very good celebrations. They're a great sign for them to wait for Christ when he comes in glory at the end of time. But they're not the Eucharist. And then the Church is talking about the fact that um, the Eucharist also commits us to the poor, and the Eucharist commits us to unity among Christians. I mean, I know for myself, it, it pains me, it hurts me to see people who can't receive communion. It hurts me that when I go to an Orthodox church that I cannot receive communion there. This, this is something that I find um, personally difficult. It's something that uh, is, is very hard for me to, um, to resolve to, to, to accept but again you have to accept it because it's what the church what the, what the church teaches but it's something that is um, I'm, I'm mis, mis expressing myself it's not so much accepting it it's hard for me to, to 
to deal with it, to accept it in the sense that it's uh, it's a tragedy. It's if you see a family that's torn in two, and uh, one brother isn't speaking to his sister. This is this is uh, very hard to see humanly. And what happens among Christians who have so much in common that between all the different Christian Christian denominations there is so much in common, and yet we can't celebrate together because we lack this communion. We lack a Eucharistic communion. And so this is very hard. Again, there are certain cases when, uh, quite openly, somebody who is from an Orthodox or an Eastern Orthodox background can receive, the sacraments in the Catholic Church can receive communion. This is quite normal if you have a Greek, for example, a Greek student who's studying in, uh, I don't know, in France, and there are no Greek Orthodox churches nearby. There's very little problem in him going to the local Catholic parish and receiving communion there. And vice versa, although to be honest, vice versa, many times the Catholics wouldn't be too welcome to receive communion in, in different Orthodox churches. But um, according to our canon law, that's fine. If there is a need, it can't just be because it's a little bit easier or that you're driving to the church and the Orthodox church is only four minutes away and the Catholic church is five minutes away. So to save yourself a minute, you go to the Orthodox church. Uh, that doesn't, that, that obviously is not what it's talking about. But if you're, I don't know, if you're in Russia on, on, on your holidays, if uh, you're living in, a, I don't know, in the mountains of Syria and there's only one church nearby and it happens to be an Oriental Orthodox church, the Catholics are welcome to go to communion there. Also, the Catechism says at the very end that we were looking that there are certain very rare circumstances whereby a Protestant may be able to receive the sacraments in the Catholic Church. Again, they would have to ask for them of their own free will and they would have to believe what the Catholic Church believes. So these are not things that happen very often, but it is theoretically possible that uh, a Protestant would be given permission to receive communion, to receive uh, the, the sacrament of the sick, to, to receive absolution and confession. Again, it's very rare that this would happen and to be honest, I think that if they have the Catholic belief in the sacraments, then really they should really think about becoming Catholic altogether. But anyway, we won't uh, we won't go into this too much. But that this is the, there's the section on the fruits of communion. And we'll continue tomorrow. And tomorrow we'll look at 1402 through 1405. God bless. <laughs>